It's Friday. Let's open up the mailbag. Questions about are the Celtics trying to do too much because they feel they need to? Also, questions about Derek White, Al Horford, and who will be the first clutch player of the year? It's all right now on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Be ever ready. Recognize the city of champs. Boston, baby, we do what you can. Locked on number 18, Tatum and Brown, J team. Step back, we gon' wet that and slay teams. Of course, the Celtics, who else could it be? Screaming like KG with the Larry OB. Corrales above average, assessing the team status. Best daily pod, no cap, salary matching. Clutch like Bird to DJ, keep John on replay. Primetime, dapping up the truth on the sideline. Raining Jays, how it started, raising banners, how we finished. Locked on Celtics, pod, home of the winners. B. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And I'm here for you every day with a free, fresh podcast dropped directly to your device if you are a subscriber. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Even watch the show on YouTube if you'd like. It's a uh, it's a growing community on YouTube that is uh, having great conversations in the comment section. I think it's a good place if you want to get off of other social media. Or if you don't have other social media, you can just hop on here and have a conversation there. I'm John Corrales, former professional basketball player. Now I cover the Celtics for Boston Sports Journal. I've written a book called The Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. If you're looking for a last-minute gift for the Celtics fan in your life, for the lockdown Celtics fan in your life, how about a Cameo? I'm on Cameo. You can search my name and find me on Cameo. I'll send a video. I'll record it from the garden. I can do it. Uh, at the game on Friday night. I could do it at the game on Christmas before the game. So uh, check it out if you want something that's unique. Maybe the Celtics and Lockdown Celtics fan in your life might like that. So like I said, mailbag day today. Later on in the third segment, we'll get to uh, the inaugural Jerry West Trophy for the Clutch Player of the Year. And uh, some other interesting questions there about what's a good shot. Second segment will be about Derek White and Al Horford, people asking about that. But let's dive in with Phillip's question here. He says he's got he has a theory that the worst thing that can happen to the Celtics is that something makes them feel like they need to do more. They really overhelp. They take hero ball shot, shots. They uh, eventually, uh, team coordination ends. And I uh, says, is there merit to the the idea that desperation is incompatible with our team oriented D and offense? It's an interesting theory, and I think it does kind of jive with what I've been talking about. The Celtics, I don't think when they try to do too much, I don't think that they're trying to uh, hijack games. I don't think anybody's trying to say, no, 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 me, me, me. It's all about me. I feel like the Celtics, their worst habit, which we've seen uh, recently and we've seen in the past and we still need them to get away from, their worst habit is everybody on this team, it feels like, well, not everybody, but a few different guys on this team feel like when things are going south, they say, okay, I'll I'll save it. I'll save you guys. Don't worry. I got it. When really what should happen is everybody gets together and bails each other out. It's like being in a sinking canoe and there are three or four buckets but one person says okay we're sinking we're taking on water 
and grabs all four buckets and just tries to scoop it all out. And it's just not, it's not the way it should work. Everybody take a bucket and do it coordinated. And yeah, I think so. I think Philip does have a point that the Celtics need to make sure that when things are going wrong, they stick to what works. They stick to what has worked. And this, this notion that, Hey, I'm talented, talented enough to do it on my own or the Mark is smart. Well, he, he doesn't have it and he doesn't have it. And everybody else is cold. I, it's up to me now. And I think that that mentality overall from this team is something that they need to get away from. And this is why you get to the Joe Missoula timeout thing. You'd like to see them figure things out. And I do agree that there are times where you let them play through it. Come on, guys. You, you're you're grown-ups. You're big boys. Go out there and figure out how to play basketball together. But then there are some times when things get tired, when the guys get tired, things start going wrong, and they start to devolve into this third quarter, fourth quarter. And Joe Mazzula has to, he has to recognize this. He has to recognize, all right, these guys are, they're doing this thing again. Time out. Pull the, you know, pull them together. Guys, it's, it's the email. You're playing, you're playing like a-holes out there. Get it together. Go play basketball. So I think there is a time and a place for, for Joe to call a timeout, especially late in games to get them off of what Philip is talking about and onto what the game plan is. Andrew, kind of a related question. He says, is there any way that the dumpster fire against the Pacers kickstarts the Celtics into playing motivated, disciplined defense? Thank, I'm, I'm guessing, and I didn't check the timestamp before I copied this into my, my list of questions. I'm guessing that was a first half question, but still it stands. And that's why I, I brought it in to, to answer here. By the way, today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered. This season, with more props, odds, and lines than ever before, Bet Online is where the game starts. This is related because it's part of the kind of going off on your own in a way. And when when that happens on offense, especially, it does trickle over to the defense because there's a lot of standing around, and when the guys are standing around on offense, then you run back on defense and your head's not there. I think, if anything, they the thing that they should have taken from the Pacers game is defensively, if you rebound, if you play the type of defense you're supposed to play, force the misses, and get out into transition, life becomes a lot easier. And this is why you know they, they keep talking about defense first, and they've been an offense-first team all season long. I tweeted out during the game that – They've been so bad defensively in stretches that they they almost don't have the habits to lean back on. I say that as their defense has climbed to seventh in the NBA. So, but when they when they don't play good defense, it's so blatantly obvious. They they need to focus on defense first. They've been an offense first team. They need to focus on defense first because if anything has become clear that if you get stops, 
you get misses and you get the rebounds and you can get out and run, the Celtics are an almost unbeatable team. They can be unbeatable if they can get out to transition because the transition gets you the easy baskets. The transition gets you comfortable. The transition gets you into those kind of walk-up three-pointers. You can walk into a three-pointer. Uh, Jalen drives. They collapse on him. Kick it out. A trailer comes in, catches the ball, easy, in rhythm, ba bow three-pointer. That kind of stuff happens when you're in transition. That's what the Celtics need to get back to. They need to focus on the stops, getting out and running, and the rest really will take care of itself. Because when you're out and running, the, the, the movement kind of comes naturally. So get to that. And then the half-court offense will follow. It, it's very simple. It's very simple. So I hope Andrew is right that this kickstarts the Celtics into playing more motivated, disciplined defense because it should. It should. All right, up next, Derek White. Ooh, the shooting numbers, not great. And Al Horford. Is something up with Al Horford? I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. First, today's episode is brought to you by the NHTSA. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even those of us in New England here, where marijuana is legal. That means if you drive high, you can get a DUI. If you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that a law enforcement officer won't know when you're driving high. Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you are not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. This message paid for by the NHTSA. Thank you for making Lockdown Celtics your first listen every day. Make Lockdown Sports Today your second listen every day. It's all the big stories across the sports world, 22 minutes. It's a great show with the added perspective from the local hosts, the local experts from across the Lockdown Podcast Network. Check it out. You want to be the smart sports guy or gal around the water cooler? Then you want to listen to Lockdown Sports Today wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Back to the questions, and I'm going to start with Brandon B., who says, I hate to do this to D. White, but in December, he's 14 of 58. What in the world is happening? Well, as I've said, Derek White, I think, is as much a bellwether of what the Celtics offense is doing as anybody. I think Derek White is the embodiment of if the, if the ball is moving, and the offense is playing well, then he gets good looks, he gets to step into shots, and he plays well. When the Celtics are struggling, he has to do more on his own. He has to take more floaters. Those tend to miss. He ends up taking more spot-up shots. I mean, not spot-up shots. uh, Off-the-dribble shots. The spot-ups come from side-to-side movement rather than kickouts. It's not all it is, but I think it all, the cumulative effect of the Celtics struggling the way they have been takes its toll on 
Derek White. And it might take its toll on Derek White the most. That's how I see it. Because in, in it's almost like a chicken and egg kind of thing. Derek White was such a big part of the Celtics playing well that you can say, well, he's shooting well, then the Celtics play well. But I don't think he's the center of the, the Celtics offense doing good things. I think he's a byproduct. Like I said in a, a past podcast and like I wrote on Boston Sports Journal, the Celtics have been, and I didn't factor in the last game, but you saw it. There was, a, there was one shot in the first quarter, second quarter, Jalen Brown between the legs, boom, 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 doing the little James Harden tick-tock, tick-tock dribble, and then he launched a three. Of course, it missed because the Celtics have been taking a lot more of those three-pointers where, or a few more per game, where they take seven-plus dribbles and shoot or hold the ball for six seconds and shoot. And when that happens, you have guys not touching the ball. And when guys don't touch the ball, they feel the need when they do get the ball to do more with it because they haven't been touching the ball. A lot of times, just a touch makes you feel like you're involved in the offense. When the ball is moving and bodies are moving, everybody gets a touch, even if Derek White gets it, does you know .5 offense, gets it, reads the guy up on him, takes a little dribble, one, two dribbles, and then kicks it out and then relocates to the corner and doesn't get it back again, he's still involved in the offense. He's part of it. He's got a little bounce in his step. When the ball isn't moving, when the guys are driving it and getting caught too, too deep and turning it over, that's a possession where it's like, oh, okay, I didn't touch it again. Well, next time I touch it, I got to do something with it. It's minor, but it adds up because – there are a couple possessions where the guys turn it over because they're too deep in the lane. There are a couple where they hold it too long, and there are a couple where they dribble it too long. And it all just kind of piles up. I've said this on another podcast. You start adding those up, points that you could have, 12 points, 15 points, 18 points, that you could have, and they turn into points that the other team gets in transition, 6, 12, whatever, however many points. That adds up. It puts the Celtics in a tough spot. It forces guys like Derek White to do more work on defense, which takes out their legs for, for them on offense. So he's he is like, in a way, the canary that goes into the coal mine. And if it dies in the coal mine, it's like, oh, well, the off <laughs> the offense is toxic and we shouldn't we shouldn't be watching this game. But for the Celtics, if he's if he's getting the good shots, the good looks, and he's playing against the defense in rotation, then he's getting to the rim. The lanes are more, more wide open. He can play better. A, a couple of layups against the rotating defense that's too worried about Jalen, drive, kick, out, kick out, swing, secondary attack, collapse the defense again, kick out. Now it's Derek White. Oh, my God, Derek White, he can shoot. Attack the closeout, boom, drop it off, assist to back to Jalen, who's who's in the dunker spot now. Whatever. That type of play makes you feel like you're part of the offense. You're up, you're hyped. Then you get to go back, you get to set your defense, and then you get to get out into transition again if you get a stop. And then you get to maybe Derek White's the trailer, and you kind of attack, pitch back, step one, two, 
in rhythm release. He's moving towards the basket. He's not fading away. That ball goes in. Now the confidence is there. That's what's happening with Derek White. All of that stuff is happening with Derek White. There is some regression, obviously. He was never going to be a 48% three-point shooter. But he can be a 38, 39. He can even be a 40% three-point shooter. I don't think that that was all fool's gold. I think he can be pretty good. He has it in him to be good. It's the Celtics offense that needs to run. And I'm telling you, once you start seeing that offense start to hum, and we go, oh, that's the offense. That's the offense that we remember. I'm telling you, Derek White's going to have 15, 16, 17 points and be three, four, seven from three or something like that. I'm telling you. Next question from Philip. I'm worried about one of my favorite players, Al. Usually health is a concern, but now he starts to look like a different guy. He doesn't post up anymore. He's not getting as many rebounds. He's even pass his passing is dipped. He used to do the dirty work that Rob couldn't, but I haven't even seen that dog since the Buck series. Is the new coach shuffling Al around? Or is Al showing his age finally or both? Well, I will say that they are they're asking Al to be much, much, much more of a spot-up shooter. He is very, very much more being spot-up, catch-and-shoot, corner three. Um, geez, the, the, the corner three just popped into my head, and I'm willing to bet that his corner three stats are up. In fact, I'm going to look those up. So Al Horford last season with the Celtics took 1.1 corner three-pointers per game. This season, 1.8 three corner three-pointers per game. And in the previous season, uh, he wasn't there, so never mind. <laughs> but uh, the there is an uptick. There is a noticeable uptick in Al Horford's corner three-pointers. So that tells you his... Um, his usage and, and look the even the above the break three, two point eight above the break threes this season versus two point seven. So uh, a little bit more above the break, not much, but definitely more in the corner. He's spotting up more. They're using him more as a three point shooter. Um, his restricted area. I'm just gonna say here, uh, restricted area last season in the is one point eight. In the paint, 1.7. This season, 1.6 in the in the restricted area, 0.9 in the paint, non-restricted area. So those are down. So the question uh, that Philip asks is is right. He's he's getting away from the stuff that's in the paint, and he's getting out and spotting up more. They're using him differently. Um, I I haven't thought until the past couple of games that he's, he hasn't looked his normal self. I thought in the beginning of the season prior to the road trip, which he wasn't on, but prior to that, he, I thought he's just the guy that they used differently since then. I think because of the entire offenses look terrible, he's, he hasn't looked his normal self. Now he did have COVID. I don't know if that took anything out of him. He did have a kid. I don't know if he's getting less sleep, but Definitely Al Horford is playing differently. And is it his age? 
Sure, he can't he can't bang down low quite as much, and they don't want him to in November, December, January. They they just kind of they'd rather have that floor spacer, especially if Rob is on the floor, and you can if they do play double big. They're going to want Al Horford out there as a floor spacer for sure. And Rob's going to be in the dunker spot uh, or setting picks and rolling. So they're, they're going to want Al out there. I think most of it is they're using him differently in the last, especially against the Pacers. I saw him get burned a lot on defense and I don't know if that was confusion or if that was just, he had had a bad defensive game, but definitely has been burned more often defensively. So I think there's something there's something to it. I'm willing to chalk it up to different kind of usage. The age is definitely a percentage in there. Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 30? I don't know. Right now, I think it's more use. But something to keep an eye on. He hasn't been playing in the back-to-backs. Maybe, maybe he's been more impacted lately with Rob coming back, which would make sense. I haven't, haven't watched for that specifically on the film, but I, I should, I'll look for that specifically moving forward. Al might be the most impacted by Rob coming back. So, but I think, I think he's, he's, I don't think we should be worried. I don't think we should be worried. I think Al's going to be okay. Just using him a little bit different. All right. Up next, what's a good shot. Plus, the an interesting question about super talented slackers and the first ever Jerry West trophy winner that's coming up first today's show is brought to you by bet online your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis you know you'd think by the tone of this podcast that the Celtics are in line to get smashed by the Milwaukee Bucks Hey, by the way, the Celtics have the most wins. They're tied with Milwaukee for the most wins. And Bet Online has Boston favored by four on Christmas Day. Celtics favored by four over the Milwaukee Bucks as of right now on Christmas Day. So check it out. Go to Bet Online. You can get the latest odds and trends for every pro and amateur league out there. Obviously, basketball, but football, I know that they're uh, gearing up for the playoffs soon. Uh, the college bowl season is here. And it's all there at betonline.net. They've even got sports podcasts, which we know that you love. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get all your sports betting info. So head on over to the website today. Use your mobile device if you prefer. BetOnline is where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. Thanks again for making Lockdown Celtics your first listen every day. Check out the Lockdown NBA podcast. I host it on Wednesdays. We got rotating hosts. All throughout the week, it's me and Jake Madison on Wednesdays. He does Locked On Pelicans. That's a fun show. I love doing that show with Jake. So make sure you're checking that out too. Catch up on the whole league. Half an hour or so on the Locked On NBA podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Also on YouTube, back to the questions. Last few here in the mailbag. Paul uh, <laughs> Paul says, I hate it when everyone says they're getting good shots, but they're just not falling. If you're not making a shot, it's not a good shot. It's just not. Someone like the coach should be telling them that. No one should be spending the entire game taking shots they keep missing over and over again, right? Well, look, <laughs> there, there are guys you know who can make shots. And the nature of basketball, and Jalen did a good job of saying this after, I think, the second Orlando game. 
the nature of basketball is such that you can you can be hot one night and freezing cold the next two or three. And it's just what it is. It's not that you're really doing a lot different. It's not that the shot is coming off differently. You've worked on this. These guys have worked on their shots for their whole lives. There's nothing different necessarily. It's just that maybe the legs aren't quite there. Maybe the, the follow through isn't quite as snappy. Maybe the ball is coming off a finger just a little bit differently and you just can't notice. Maybe you're fading one way or another. Maybe you're drifting one way or another. There's so many little things that can happen to a, a, a shooter that you don't realize until you take a real close look and you have to let the process work and you can't press. You can't start aiming your shots. You can't start saying, okay, here's my opening. I got to make this one. The good shots are shots that these guys have take, taken and made a lot. So I disagree, Paul. There are shots that guys can take that we know they can make. Jalen Brown can make three-pointers at a very high clip. Jason Tatum can make them at a very high clip. That's been demonstrated. That's proven. Okay? So they take a few, and maybe you can say, well, that one's not a great one or whatever, but star players, just as an aside, we have to understand that the basketball that we know that we may have played is not NBA basketball. And I tell you every day at the beginning of the podcast, I'm a former professional basketball player, but my level of basketball was nowhere near the NBA. Like my level of basketball was, yeah, I got paid to play in front of, you know, that was professionally. I played professionally, but the level at which Jalen and Jason play is genius level stuff. I keep saying my career was basically, I, I reached the level of high school chemistry teacher. And these guys were, are, are like astrophysicists and they operate on a level that we can't fathom. So some of the shots that they take, you go, why are you doing that? Well, because he's Jason Tatum, because he's Jalen Brown. And I have the same reaction too. You say, Ooh, that may not have been the best shot in the world, but also those guys can make a lot of those shots. So there's a give and a take. There's a give and a take when it comes to that stuff. But just because the ball didn't go in, there are plenty of times, and I, I as, as this little slump has carried on, I'll sit here and I'll watch either from home when I, I'm not traveling on the road games or when I'm at the arena, I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, that's good, that's good, beautiful. And the shot misses, and you go, well, shot missed. What can you do? They did everything right. I always compare it to like blackjack because I like playing blackjack. There are certain rules. You know, when the dealer is showing a six and you got a five, you're not hitting on that. You're staying. You, you got a 15, I should say. You, you're staying on a 15. And maybe they flip over a four and deal themselves a king and you'd lose to, to the 20. You did the right things. It just didn't work. More often than not, it's going to work if you do the right thing and you play the right way. So 
there is such a thing as a good shot that they keep missing because most of these guys are taking shots. In fact, all of these guys are taking shots that they're fully capable of hitting. And it's as simple as that. Aaron says, this is a great question. I still, I've, I've been staring at this question for a long time. What do you think is better for a team? Super talented slackers or hardworking scrubs? Well, Effort, it goes such a long way in the NBA where it depends on who you have on the team, right? So if you have, I mean, you can't win with a team of super talented slackers and hardworking scrubs. If you have a top-heavy team and hardworking, not-so-talented players, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have the top-end talent and a bunch of guys who just bust their asses all day long because their effort can at least... that You know that those guys will defend. Those guys will dive on the floor. They will set the screens. They will rebound. They will do all the dirty work. And basically what you end up happening have there is basically the Portland Trailblazers over the past few years. You, you know... If you've got the right high-end talent and guys that work really, really hard around them, then you can get pretty far. I mean, that's not going to get you a championship. Neither is great, great role players and super talented slackers because at some point you want those guys to become – then you become – the Minnesota Timberwolves come to mind with super talented slackers. Maybe that's not entirely fair. But the point is – you can't you can't have both of those, but if I had to pick one, I'd rather have the hardworking scrubs. At least those guys will do all the little things that can get your star players going. I assume that if you have hardworking, like we've seen these teams, the the, the Kings have had a team, uh, the the Nets before they traded for Kyrie and and or before they signed Kyrie and. Um, got Durant, those teams that are not particularly great, but they work really hard and they enjoy playing for each other, those teams can overachieve because in the NBA, it's such a long season that if you're young and dumb and you don't know any better, you can go out there and will your way to some really tough wins just because you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive. I'm going to make these guys' lives hell. Meanwhile, a talented team like the Celtics says, eh, you know, I don't see this, this team – I mean, what am I talking about? They just We just saw it with the Pacers. The Pacers in the first half of that game were, I mean, they, they're not scrubs, but they, they have talent, but they also worked super hard. Effort will get you super, super far in the NBA. So I hope that answered your question. Let's get finished off here with Andrew. Who's on your short list to win the inaugural Jerry West trophy? What's your criteria for clutch player of the year? Well, clutch player of the year. I mean, you really, the eye test tells you a lot. You, you got to, you, you got to see a guy come up big in, in key moments. Uh, you got to see a guy who, you know, in the fourth quarter is going to come through. Um, so I, I looked at some of the numbers here and the, 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 NBA's clutch stats. You see a couple of familiar names in there. DeMar DeRozan, certainly Desmond Baines having a good clutch year. 
Dame Lillard, Joel Embiid, De'Aaron Fox is actually having a pretty good year. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I'm going to say that that's my, that's my list for the most part. DeRozan, Lillard, um, Bain hasn't played enough. So DeRozan, Lillard, Embiid has had some pretty good clutch performance. De'Aaron Fox for sure. And Shea Gilgis Alexander. And I'll be honest with you. If Damian Lillard doesn't win it, I, I assume if he stays healthy all year, you know, he's going to have some Dame time moments. You know, he is. I can't picture a better guy in the league right now to win the first clutch player of the year award. than Damian Lillard Dame time. I mean, he comes through that dude has willed the Portland trailblazers to, I can't even tell you how many more wins. Well, what, what's the percentage of wins that he alone has added just by being clutch 15, 20, 25% of the wins that they've had over the course of his career are probably just directly attributed to him being clutch. What's clutch. It's a guy in the fourth quarter that, you know, is going to perform that can hit the tough shots that can make the tough plays that doesn't get phased by the moment that, you know, the best way I can tell you is if you're up two and there's time on the clock, a couple of seconds, second and a half, and you're nervous because of who they have on the other team, that's a criteria. If a guy gets the ball with a second to play, and you're up two, and your first reaction would be like, oh, crap. Before he even shoots, that's a clutch player. Because you're always going to be a little bit nervous, and some guy's going to get it and, and shoot, and you're like, oh, I hope it doesn't get lucky. I hope he doesn't go in. But there are a couple of guys, if Dame gets it, Luka Doncic is another one. Luka, I can't believe I almost for, forgot Luka. Luka Doncic is another one. When he gets the ball and he has time, and he squares up, and you're just like, well, that's it. We lost. There's your criteria. That's your criteria. I'm going Dame. I just, I, I, the first, very first one, the very first one, the answer to the trivia question, I have no problem making that a lifetime achievement award for Dame, even if somebody else, and there are a lot of great, great options, but I have no problem making the very first one a lifetime achievement award for Dane. And then the rest of these guys can fight it out after that. So that's where I land on that. Thanks for all the questions. These questions have been submitted via my website, johncorrales.com slash mailbag, johncorrales.com slash mailbag. That's the only way I'm taking questions. It's too many other places for me. I know that people have said, hey, do it on uh, YouTube comments. Nope, can't keep track of them all because they end up all over different comments. Sorry, for me, just it's just the best way for me to see them. And when I have a chance, answer them. During the season, hard to do these mailbags uh, very often. I thought today would be a good one to just get your mind off of all the other stuff, like the specific in-game stuff. Let's get big picture with the questions. So thank you for submitting those questions, everybody. Keep sending them in. I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully I get to answer uh, the ones I haven't answered specifically during the course of my other podcasts. 
So please do keep submitting them. Uh, and if you're new to the podcast, I hope that you've enjoyed it enough to subscribe to the podcast. So you know what to do. You know where the subscribe button is. You can even find it over there, that bell on YouTube. You can ring it. I think it's down here somewhere if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, ring that. Make sure you know you get these uh, podcasts. I mean, I drop them daily anyway. So you know there's going to be a daily one if you go. But if you want to be notified, you can be. Celtics Friday night playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm I, Only because this weekend is Christmas. If they lose, I hope they don't. But if they lose, I will not do a bonus podcast because no one's going to want to hear it. But if they win, I'll give you something to play during Christmas Eve if you have family over during Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Uh, obviously, I'll have a post-Christmas Day podcast as well. So make sure you're subscribed for those. If you are a subscriber, would love it if you shared the podcast. Tell your friends and family and everybody that they should be listening to and watching the Lockdown Celtics podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.